Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Food bloggers, don't forget to check out the food blogging forum style community that we started over at forum.eatblogtalk.com. Finally, there's one place that we can all convene and talk and that isn't scattered all over Facebook. Here are the things that I am loving about it. It is free. It also allows for categorized discussions on all food blogging topics And there's a category for sharing successes, aka self-promotion. So no more holding back about discussing your big wins and things that you're promoting. Also, everything is in one single spot. So no hopping around from group to group. And there's an amazing opportunity to network and really get to know your fellow food bloggers in a single place. So come join the discussions that are going on over at forum.eatblogtalk.com. And I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Don't forget forum.eatblogtalk.com. Okay, food bloggers, have you heard of Flowdesk, the new big email marketing rage? This is an amazing new option for managing your email subscriber list. It is super easy to use and it comes with gorgeous, intuitive drag and drop templates. And Flowdesk does not charge based on number of subscribers. So your monthly rate will stay the same from month to month. Everyone pays $38 a month or use my affiliate link to get 50% off and pay only $19 a month. You guys, this is a fraction of the price of other email service providers, and you'll be blown away by the beautiful and intuitive templates waiting for you inside. Visit eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to grab your link. Flowdesk, the stunning new option for email marketing. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast made for you, food bloggers seeking value for your businesses and your lives. Today, I will be chatting with Yumna Jawad from feelgoodfoodie.com, and we will talk about staying current with Instagram, even in uncertain times. Currently raising her family in Michigan, Yumna is the home cook, recipe developer, and inspiration behind Feel Good Foodie. She creates nutritious, delicious, and family-friendly meals, sharing her enthusiasm for natural ingredients and clean eating. Yumna experiments with new tastes and textures, providing healthy alternatives to everyday staples that make you feel good. Yumna, I am excited to dig into Instagram with you today, but first, give us a fun fact about yourself. Hi, Megan. So good to be on the podcast with you. Um, Here's a little fun fact that some people may not know about me is that I was actually born and raised in Africa, and I moved to the U.S. when I was 11 years old. Whoa. Where in Africa were you born and raised? I was born in Congo, which is uh, the Republic of Congo. It was called Zaire back then. And we lived in Sierra Leone, which is on the West Coast of Africa. And there was a civil war going on there when I was 11 years old. And so we moved to the U.S. as refugees, basically. And we have never gone back since then. So English is actually my second language. And I am Lebanese American, born in Africa. Whoa, that's such a cool story. Thank Thank you for sharing that. Wow. 
Yeah. So that's very different than Instagram. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's very I, different fun facts. I yep. love yeah. getting fun facts. It's just like an, a new way to learn about people. So thank you for sharing that. And now let's move on to Instagram. The reason you're here today. Instagram is a biggie, as you know, for influencers. And I personally don't see that changing anytime soon. So I love giving this platform as much attention as possible. And we talked before the interview that we've done a few of those um, focuses on Instagram here on eBlog Talk. But I love that because everybody brings a new perspective and a little bit different information. So Yumna, can you start by talking us through your own growth on Instagram and how that journey has evolved for you? Sure. So I first started on Instagram in July 2013. So it's been almost seven years that I've been on the platform. And before that, I basically had about 10 years of experience in marketing and branding. But when I had kids, I decided to stay at home with them. And I decided to start what I thought was a microblog. I thought blogs were dead in 2013. <laughs> Little did I know, I said, I don't need to start a blog because I don't want to sit down and write a thousand words about the muffin recipe that I made because I, I just didn't understand how blogs worked back then. And I said, instead, I'm just going to, you know, share this muffin recipe with people and see if anyone's interested in it. And it was more of an outlet. I'm sure like a lot of bloggers started back then as just a fun thing to do and just kind of share your creativity with the world. And so I started it and my husband came up with the name Feel Good Foodie. And it was just supposed to be a fun little project to do while I was staying home with the kids while they were still babies. And what happened was I actually discovered a community. I discovered people who are also doing similar things. And it was just so motivating to see this, you know, group of people from Australia and from Africa and from Canada and wherever all over the world just creating unique recipes. And so I just kind of fell in love with the community back then. And it was so fun to see different recipes that people were making and how people were growing. And then I saw I started seeing, oh my gosh, people have 5,000 followers. Oh my gosh, this person has 10,000 followers. You can actually grow on this platform and you can... Then I started seeing people selling things or doing ads. I thought you can make money on this platform too. And so it kind of became this little competitive project of mine. I'm like, well, I'm going to get 10,000 followers and I'm going to try this. And, and so it just kind of started growing from there. And it just became this just really fun, addicting little platform that I just kept wanting to share and discover things and meet people and talk about my recipes and talk about nutrition and it's funny because seven years later, I'm still just as addicted to it and excited by it and passionate about it. That's so cool. And we talked about this a little bit before we pressed record, but your story is very unique in the sense that you started on Instagram and most of us, most food bloggers did not do that. We started with a blog and we started those really long, you know, journal style posts. And then we evolved into something different. And then over time, we realized that Instagram was here and not going anywhere. So we needed to give it some love and attention. And that's how most of our journeys went. But you saw this unique little platform that you loved. You fell in love with it. And here's what I love about it. You were able to give Instagram your full on attention from day one. Whereas the rest of us, or most of the rest of us, I should say, have a little piece of ourselves in Instagram because we've started this blog. You know how it goes? Like you have so much other stuff to do that we haven't been able to dive into it completely like you did from the start, but you just fell in love with it and you liked it so much that you 
wanted to get to know it more and more. So I love that. I think that's such a cool and unique perspective to bring to the table. So talk to us about your blog because you did start Instagram first and then you did start a blog. So how did that kind of turn out for you? Yeah. And actually, when I first started the blog, I regretted it. I said, why didn't I start the blog three years ago? Why why did I wait so long to start the blog? And and I said, all these years that went by, I could have had all these recipes on my blog instead of transferring them over. But now looking back at it, I'm thinking, you know what, it was probably a good thing that I did that. I think if I started the blog with all the technical things and designing a blog, I think it would have been really overwhelming. And I think this little passion project of mine would have become a lot more work than I had the capacity to take on at the time. And I think I would have probably given up on it. Um, but instead, what happened was I started on Instagram. And what I did was I used the platform to kind of learn about nutrition and learn about recipes and how to cook more. And so I, I basically had a family that was growing and I wanted to learn how to use amaranth and how to use quinoa to make cookies. And I was seeing all these really cool ideas. And I wanted to share them publicly. I wanted to learn them publicly. And so all I would do is I would make the recipe and if it I would literally make it once. <laughs> I would make it once. If it turned out good, I would take pictures of it and I would share the a recipe in the caption, like right then and there, actually in the comments back then, because the captions were limited. So we couldn't, you know, make them long back then. And it was really unique because at the time, like you said, all the bloggers had blogs. And so they would be referring people to their to their blog for traffic and they would say, get the recipe by going to my blog. And then there was another group of people who basically had these uh, repost pages. And so they would have hundreds and thousands of followers and they would be reposting other people's recipes and sharing them there. And so I was kind of like in a really unique spot where I was sharing my own recipes and recipes that I was testing my pictures, you know, my content on my page, but the, but the, the recipes were right there in the caption. So People would just screenshot them and everybody loved that. They loved the idea that they didn't have to go to a blog. And so it worked for me at the time. It was approachable. It wasn't a lot of work. It was just basically cooking for my family and then taking the time to type out a recipe that I found or I tweaked or I changed, you know, to make it my own. But what happened was in April 2016, the algorithm with Instagram changed, the big algorithm that changed, that moved things from a chronological order to... Um, a more relatable order of what's the most popular or what's the most like relevant to the, to the user. And so when that happened, I saw a huge drop in my engagement. All of a sudden, people weren't seeing my posts anymore. You know, having 2 million followers, I started losing followers. Instagram was cleaning up really old dead accounts. And, and I said, oh my goodness, this can literally go away any day. Like all this engagement I had, all these different ads that companies were buying on my page, they're no longer doing that now. So it was just kind of like a big wake up call for me that this could literally end any day. And I had nothing if it ended. I'd worked so hard for three and a half years building this and it could end. So I started the blog and it was really hard. It took a year and I was like, it was a lot of work. So the first month though, what was really cool about it was that from day one, I was able to get like a thousand page views in a day to, to a blog post, for example. So if I shared a muffin recipe, I can say, Hey, swipe up or, or hit the link in my bio and you can get this muffin recipe. And all of a sudden there's a thousand people getting that recipe. And for a blog, thinking about that for 30 days or sharing, you know, 20, that was 20,000 page views per month or 30,000 page views per month. So from month one, all of a sudden I had really strong page views, which is very, which is a really unique story because not a lot of food bloggers can say that from day one. And I wouldn't have had that if I didn't have the strong Instagram build following. 
So that was really cool. I was like, wow, if for month one, I'm already at 30,000 page views, imagine where I'll be in two years. Well, two years later, I was still at 60,000 page views or 80,000 page views. And it was a struggle. And I thought, how can I make a living out of this? Uh, you know, I was making a really good living just from Instagram ads. But how can I actually do that now on the blog? It's so much harder. And there was a lot of moments where I wanted to give up, but I just kept saying, no, people are doing it. It's possible. I kept pushing forward. And now, you know, it's been it's three and a half years later, my blog has 3 million page views per month. So it's actually, <laughs> and I'm so, I'm just like baffled by it. And I look at that and I'm like, wow, the blog actually grew to be bigger than Instagram. And I'm just still baffled by that till this day. That's amazing. I love your story. And I think it's just such proof that persistence pays off because you saw after a couple of years, you were like, okay, when is this going to really, you know, show, when am I going to see some actual growth, some big growth? And it just took a little bit of pushing and persistence and you saw it 3 million page views a month. Wow. That is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I never would have imagined that. It's it's really crazy because yeah, at first I thought, oh, wow, this is just going to grow and it's going to be huge. But it didn't. It just kept staying there. And all of my traffic was just social traffic. And it was so hard to push things. But I just kept persisting. I said, nope, I'm just going to keep making recipes and eventually it'll get there. And it's really a long game. You know, it's not short term by any means. I totally agree. I mean, blogging is a long, it's a marathon, right? Everyone says that. And people get into it and think, I should just be able to kill it right away. But that is so not the case. You've got to go in with that mindset that it is going to be a marathon. Some people can do it a little more quickly than others, but you cannot expect that. You've just got to go in thinking, okay, I'm going to be in this for the long haul. So I actually think that you did it the smart way. And I know that you said you went in thinking, oh, I should have maybe started with a blog. But I feel like in recent years, we've really honed in on what is important in the blogging world. Whereas like if you would have started back when you started Instagram, I don't know, I started my blog a million years ago and I did everything wrong. And now I'm picking up the pieces 10 years later. And for those people who started like three years ago, they went in knowing exactly what they needed to do, like SEO and everything was just really clearly defined. And so they are way ahead of me in certain areas. So I feel like, dang it, I wish that I would have had that perspective. Like, it was so simple the way you started. I'm going on Instagram. I'm going to share my recipes right here in the platform, which is so cool. People do appreciate that because having to like go to the profile and click on the link, you know, that's like annoying. That's just an extra step they don't want to do. So you were posting the recipe right there, which is super convenient for people my question for you is, did you take all of those recipes that you had posted and transfer them over? So did you have like a bunch of recipes right away that you posted on your blog or how did you do that? Yeah, good question, actually. So when I first started, it's funny because I had a different name. It was like feelgood.foodie.com. And then I was like, oh, I hate that dot in there. So <laughs> like six weeks later, I scrapped that website and I started from scratch again. <laughs> nice. So I started like in September. First, it took me like three months just to make a logo. It was just like forever. But um, then when I finally started on Feel Good Foodie, because .com wasn't available. So it's like feelgoodfoodie.net actually, which doesn't make a difference. But when I first started there, I took 
a hundred of my Instagram recipes because at that point, think about three and a half years of Instagram recipes. I was doing probably like a hundred a year, maybe 150. And some of them are just like, here's avocado toast, like simple things like that. But I had basically hundreds of recipes. So I started um, my first post is like October 16, 2016. And on that day, I have 30 recipes that I just literally took a square photo from Instagram and I have the recipe in there and I wrote like a hundred words about it. And that was all I did. And so eventually, so I kept doing that until probably like six months later, somebody was like, no, stop doing that. <laughs> you need to like take new photos. They all have Instagram watermarks on them. And so I basically started, I just scrapped all of those. And I said, you know what? I don't even know if those recipes are good. I'm just transferring things over. And I decided just to kind of forget about those Instagram posts. And every now and then I will go back to them and say, oh my gosh, I made this one really good rice dish. And it was on my Instagram years ago. Let me remake it, retest it and put it out there. But um, yeah, so I know what you mean about going back and redoing old posts because I, I do still have like 80 or 70 old posts on my blog that are just square images, <laughs> ugly, you know, iPhone photos with watermarks on them. So yeah, I, it was nice kind of also, that's the other beauty of starting on Instagram first is that the first day on the blog, I already had 20 recipes. I already had an inventory of things for people to come to. So it wasn't like my first recipe was hello world. Here is my first yes. recipe. It's like, <laughs> all right, I already have 20 in there and you can kind of click around and get some things, you know, you don't have to just wait for recipe two. And you had time to hone your skills a little bit too. You had time to get better with photography and even writing a little bit and recipe development. Yeah, exactly. And so I took that time while I I was just putting stuff out there. I said, okay, let me learn photography. So the, the new recipes at the time were coming much slower pace because I was trying to learn how to use a camera. I was trying to set up my online business, like the online, the whole platform, I learn SEO, which I don't think I actually learned SEO until <laughs> <laughs> maybe 2018. I didn't know what SEO was in 2016, but uh, yeah, actually, so it, it worked out well. It gave me, it, it bought me time to hone my skills, like you said. So you mentioned Instagram ads. How did you utilize those? Because I don't think, well, speaking for myself, I don't utilize that, but is that something that we should be doing? Well, so the Instagram ads that I was doing back then used to be, uh, it used to be companies that would sell online products. So for example, a company that would be selling like a protein powder would just say, here, post this image on your on your Instagram page and I'll pay you X amount of money to post it for one hour. So I would basically, this is before Instagram had ads. So we were the ads. Instagram never did this before. And so these companies would pay us, just like those promoted or sponsored things that you would see, they would pay us to do those. So there was a bunch of different pages similar to mine who would also be doing those kind of uh, sponsored posts, but we would delete them after one hour. And it wouldn't be our photos or our videos. It would be other people's content. And it would say, here's this protein powder. They're doing a 50% off sale today for 4th of July. Click the link in bio to buy it. And after an hour, we would just delete it. Oh, and then the next day, they would, yeah. And then the next day they would say, oh, I'd like to buy another time slot at nine o'clock. And so they would pay, you know, for an hour post to do that. And back then I did those because, I didn't know I was going to make a career out of this. It was just like, I can make really good quick money on Instagram selling these ads. And then eventually, I would also get some food companies as well. So like Vlastic Pickles, for example, would say, hey, can you make a recipe using our pickles? We're doing like a mile high sandwich. Can you do that? And so I also got paid by those kind of companies as well. But it was purely Instagram. Like I would just get paid just for doing Instagram. Nobody cared about the blog. Nobody asked about it. They 
wanted a post for Instagram. So people would reach out to you asking you, you didn't have to do much outreach back then, but now it's kind of different. Like if you want to work with a specific company and do a sponsored post, I mean, it can go both ways. So how do you handle that now? Well, so um, I used to get a lot of those people just reaching out to me, like you said, and I had really big companies back then, like ABC Network, I did something with them, Shabani Yogurt. I did, you know, I worked with like really big companies. And then all of a sudden, the saturation was so high that these companies weren't noticing me anymore. I wasn't, you know, I didn't stand out anymore. So nobody, it it became so much harder to do that. And once I started my blog, I realized, okay, now I'm ready to work with these brands. Now I don't want to do these one hour ads anymore. I'm, I'm ready to like do recipe development and photography for these food brands. And all of a sudden, it dwindled, like nobody was reaching out to me. So what I decided to do um, in 2018, actually, I hired a company to take care of that for me. And so I work with Cook It Media and Cook It Media, actually, anything that comes to me or they do some outreach, um, they handle all of that for me. So they'll negotiate the prices and they'll negotiate the contracts. And then I get to just focus on being in the kitchen, doing the recipes, you know, having the fun, <laughs> the, the good part of the job that we like, you know, so I don't have to do any outreach. I don't have to um, try to negotiate contracts or the money part of it. You know, they deal with all that for me. That's one of the things about blogging that I like is that you can kind of get to the point where you pinpoint those things that you don't necessarily love and that you can find someone else to do those for you. So how did you find this Cook It Media, right? You said it was. How did you find them? And how do you recommend other people finding something similar? Well, I found them actually by listening to a podcast. So when I first got started, I used to listen to Food Blogger Pro podcasts. And, you know, they have a whole community. And so there was somebody on there talking about them and talking about how they rebranded her. And I thought, oh, that's so interesting. So it was just all about rebranding. And they just said they're an agency that can help bloggers. So I was just looking into them just to feel like, oh, what if I could do a rebranding with them? And then I learned that they also have this other part that actually manages the brand sponsorships for you. And so they were kind of like first getting started at the time and now they've grown much, you know, much bigger. So it's just about being part of the community, about asking questions, Facebook groups, figuring out like, you know, who different people are working with. Um, and most of those companies, you know, will take on like a handful of bloggers or more bloggers if, you know, if, if it's correct for them. And the best way to find them, I think, is just asking around, like I said, like Facebook groups, just trying to figure out who different people are working with. Yeah, and there's so many of them out there. I know Cook It is the one that I work with. They work with 20 other bloggers. There's DBA that's also pretty big. There's a bunch of different ones as well. And also sometimes people will just hire one person to take care of that for them, you know, and they do the outreach and they get a certain percentage for everything that they bring in. So that's another approach as well is just to kind of hire somebody internally just on your team and they don't work with any other bloggers. They just work with you. What if there's a blogger who doesn't mind doing that sort of outreach? Do you have any, I know you said you don't really care for it, but do you have any advice for them? Yeah, I think the best way to get started is to show the brand that you care about them and that you use them. And it doesn't have to be free advertising that you're doing, but it could be, you know, in your stories, for example, showing like, I love Stonyfield, for example, and just taking just showing the Stonyfield packaging. And if you want to tag them, you can tag them. If you don't, you don't have to. So just kind of showing the brand that you care about them and that you are a fan of them. There is a brand that I worked with recently, and they have really impressive technology that will basically tell you everything there is to know about a blogger. And so based on this technology, they were able to rate the 10 bloggers that they worked with for this ambassador program. And 
one of the criteria that they picked for working with them is how many mentions this person has had for their brand. And so one of the bloggers that they picked had literally mentioned them 17 times in a year. Oh. <laughs> she had mentioned them. And so, yeah, so these brands right now are very sophisticated. They have so many tools at their disposal to figure out who is mentioning them, who is talking about them, who even likes their category. Like if you're, if you're not vegan and you're constantly posting about drinking regular milk and having cheese, but all of a sudden you really want to work with a vegan brand, but you've never mentioned anything about being vegan, they're going to know about that, you know? So they're going to see what else are you talking about? Also, they can also look at your hashtag. So if you are a vegetarian and you're constantly tagged vegetarian or you're a millennial mom, so think about like the tags that you're using. Think about the photos that you're taking. Think about how you're mentioning them. And people, these brands, they have the tools. The good brands that are are doing influencer marketing, they've got really good tools to track all of that to find the right people. Because now it's not just about like, oh, she takes pretty photos. Oh, and she has a good rate. We want to work with her. It's about really finding those super fans because we are representing their brand. And so they really want to find somebody who is in love with their product. And like you said, there's so much saturation that they really do need to find those people. And there's no room for not being authentic these days. I love that you mentioned that, that brands can get really into the details and like they have sophistication now that can help them find those people that truly do love them and care about their brands. Because that's what it all comes down to. If somebody's like you mentioned the vegan example, if someone's eating cheese all the time and then they're like, oh, I want to work for you, then that isn't obviously going to fly. But I think that's great advice just to show the brand that you care, that you truly do like them, that you're going to stand behind them. And is there anything beyond that? I think that's kind of the main message. But is there anything else for sponsorships? Yeah. And I think don't be afraid to reach out via DM, via uh, Twitter, via email, and just talking about hey, I really love your brand. And, you know, look at this thing that I created with it. Not right away asking for money, not right away asking to work together, but just saying, hey, I love your cheese. And I used it to make this grilled cheese. And I was so impressed with the result. Like I've never had Havarti like this before, (laughs) you know, and just talking about it that way. And that's just, you know, I just wanted to share it with you and just pretty cool. And they'll, they'll notice that and they'll say, you know what, um, how about we send you some, you know, free cheese to enjoy this month. And that's kind of the start of the relationship. So I think Don't underestimate the power of that relationship that you're starting to build, because what you want to do is you want to work with you want to work with a handful of brands that you truly love and really be an ambassador for that brand long term. You know, and when I first started, I did a lot of one off things. So I used to join. There's a lot of networks that you can join and you can bid on different projects. You know, there's like Activate and Social Fabric and there's uh, Clever. There's so many of so many different ones that you can get on. You can bid on different projects and you can work on these projects one-on-one. And those work really well. But I would recommend once you're done with the project, continuing to build that relationship. Or even if you don't get on one of those projects, figure out how to build a relationship with a brand that's going to be long-term. And don't think about one-off projects. Think about long-term, you know, ambassadorship, if you will. Yeah, that's great advice. So let's move on a little bit and talk about algorithm because you kind of touched on this, how that algorithm change hit you hard in April of 2016. So talk to us about the algorithm on Instagram now. Give us your best insights about it and why is it important to understand it? Okay. So I look at the algorithm like this monster that needs to be fed (laughs) daily. And so 
And I think all the platforms are like that, whether you're on Pinterest, whether you're on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is, these platforms want to be fed with content, you know? So what I do with the algorithm is I think about it like four different things. So content, like it's really, really important to feed it content, but how do you feed that content? So you have to think about that content in like three ways. First of all, think about it as quality. You know, there was a while where I thought, why are my videos not doing well? I thought if I started doing videos that I would just start going viral and I would be, you know, I would continue to grow and this would be the best thing ever. But my videos were not doing well. And I realized, what if my videos sucked? Like, what if, (laughs) what if they're not doing well because people don't enjoy them, you know? So I started taking a look at my content and figuring out like, okay, what am I going to create? And if I created this, is this something that if I saw, I would send it to my sister, I would send it to my best friend. Like if it's not, don't do it. Don't, you know, and if it's, it could be as simple as how to cook rice, but how to cook rice is something that is educational. It's informative. It's a lot of things. It's something that people get wrong very often. And so it's something that I could send to my mom and say, oh my gosh, you taught me the right way or send it to my sister who just went away to college and say, oh my goodness, here, now you know how to make rice. You don't need a rice cooker. You know, so think about the content and think about the shareability of that content. Is this something that you would forward to someone? Is this something that you would save and come back to? And it's not about the likes, you know, it's more about the shareability of it. So think about your content as not how good is it, how many likes is it going to get because it's a pretty photo, but how often is it going to get shared? So if you think about it getting shared, I think you'll kind of feed that algorithm better. So shareability is a big part of that algorithm. The second part is how long people spend on your content. So the better it is, again, the longer they'll spend on it. But when I think about length of time for the content, I think about ways to do that. So one way to do that is a video. If the video is engaging, if you get them within the first three seconds, they're going to continue to watch it. They want to see that final result. They want to see how that muffin batter gets cooked or what you what you ended up adding to it to make it vegan, for example. So think about length of content and the way to do that is with a video because they're going to sit and watch for at least five seconds or 10 seconds or hopefully the full minute or whatever of the video. You can also do that with carousels. So carousels, um, people are just curious. Do you see the first photo and they see that there's a bunch of more photos after it? They're going to swipe at least once, twice. Maybe maybe you have 10 photos in there. They may not make it to 10 photos, but they're at least going to swipe a couple times. So carousels is another good way to have people spend more time on your content. And then a third way I do that is with long captions. You know, my long captions used to just be the actual recipe, which is good if you want to. You can put the whole recipe in there because people will sit down and read it. And that's time on a post. Instagram counts that as time on a post. Or you can do something heartfelt, something long, something emotional. And it may not make sense to do that every single day, but maybe it's, you know, when they thoughts, or maybe it's once a month, you kind of reflect on the month, or maybe now with everybody being on social media, every post is like that because people want that information. They're craving, you know, the human interaction. They want to know how everyone else is feeling about all the feels, you know? Yeah. So think about how to get people to stay on your content longer. So don't worry about them liking it. Just think about them spending time staring at it, looking at it, absorbing that content and sharing it. And I think that's what really feeds the algorithm these days. Back then when I started, it was all about likes. It used to be, if you liked a photo, you can literally help an account grow just by liking a photo. And I actually, um, it was like a little hobby of mine is I've grown four different accounts 
And I grew them by liking the photos. Like all you had to mm-hmm. do was literally like the photos. Yep. And, <laughs> you know, and I've helped many people, including my sister, who's a dentist. I helped her go from zero to 200,000 followers just by liking her photos, Whoa. literally just liking her photos and her videos. And that doesn't work anymore now, but that's something that used to work back then. And the algorithm is constantly shifting. So I am a nerd about it all. I, <laughs> I love Instagram so much that I study it so much. I study what people who are growing, what they're doing. I study different uh, niches like makeup accounts and fashion accounts and business accounts. What are they doing? How are they growing? And I don't just focus on the food accounts. I look at you know those other niches and see how are they doing it and what are they struggling with and kind of take little tidbits of information from them as well. So the algorithm is constantly changing. And if you spend enough time on the platform, you'll kind of see what's working and not working. And um, right now, the biggest thing is like, is that shareability and time on content. So you mentioned that you had kind of four things. Did you cover those all? How long people spent on your content was number two. Do you have two more points on that? Oh, yeah. So, yep. And so how long people spend on your content. Um, And then the other one is the consistency. So if you take time off of Instagram, they're going to penalize you. Unfortunately, we don't like to hear that. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's unfortunate, but it does happen. And I I saw that happen to me once I took 10 days off and you come back and, you know, the the engagement is weaker. So consistency is very, is key. And I think the other part also is community. So following people, liking their content, engaging with them, because that gives you exposure to other people as well. If I write on my friend's recipe, oh my gosh, that cookie recipe, I need to make that this week. And people say, oh, who's feel good foodie? Like, it's like, oh, that's, you know, or if I write something that's engaging, or I make the same thing this week, or whatever it is, you know, people might be curious, oh, who's that person? It looks like it's a fun name, or it's, oh, I wonder what her blog is about. Or if your blog is called Vegan Bulls, like, oh, what are Vegan Bulls? I want to see what that account is about, you know, so just being part of the community and not just actually absorbing content and not just putting out content, you have to consume the content, as well as create the content. So Instagram is a smart place. (laughs) They know exactly when you're there and what you're doing and who you're engaging with and who's engaging with you. So I love that you've just put so much focus on it because like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, that's how you started and you fell in love with it. It's kind of like your platform love. And the people who really kill it on Instagram or any platform for that matter are the ones that do that, that just really fall in love with one specific place. So I love that you've done that. You mentioned that the algorithm is constantly evolving and we all know that, but we hate it, but we know it. So what is your best advice for just staying on top of it? You talked about like scoping out other accounts, even if they're not within your niche. I think that's super smart because you're seeing what they're doing that's making them successful. But what are some other ways that we can stay on top of that algorithm? Um, I think listening to podcasts, like your podcast, for example, is an excellent is an excellent way to do so. You're you're interviewing people who are relevant in, in Instagram and different uh, platforms, whatever it might be. So listening to podcasts, being part of Facebook groups, because there's so much more buzz now than there ever used to be before. So you don't have to work as hard, I think, in obtaining that information. That information is there. You just have to kind of find it. So I listen to so many podcasts and some of the podcasts I listen to are not even food related. They're just you know, business spot. I listen to a fashion one, actually. There's, It's one about for fashion influencers, but it's so spot on with Instagram that I actually, I think it's really relevant and interesting. And so I listen to that and I think about that advice and, and carry it over. So I would say, you know, follow the influencers who you feel like are doing a good job. 
follow them, see what they're doing, keep a pulse on them, keep a pulse on podcasts and Facebook groups and what everybody else is talking about. And you have to you have to consume it then the content, like I said, instead of just creating the content. Be um always be reading about it because it's constantly changing, you know? And it used to be, I think back in like I would say when did video start? When I think video started probably around 2015 or so. And back then if you posted a video, so um when I first started doing video, I wasn't doing my own video, but I thought I don't want to share like a recipe video from the Food Network because it feels like that competes with my pasta recipe. So instead, I'm going to share how to clean your pots and pans from the Food Network because I think that could supplement the recipes that I have on my blog. So when that first came out, I would literally share a video from the Food Network or from, you know, So Yummy or whatever whatever account it was. And I would literally grow like 10,000 followers a day just sharing video. So I thought like, I'm just sharing some other person's video. Look how much I'm growing what if i make my own video and so i made my own videos and i was able to grow really well making videos and now it's not like that anymore you know so it's constantly changing i mean i created a video a year ago baked spaghetti and it got 6 million views it went viral Whoa. i think i grew like, I I grew like 11,000 followers in just one week you know so oh it's, my goodness yeah and so it's still it's like i was like wow so all i need to do is just create these like crazy amazing interesting food videos you know and so i did a bunch of them i grew really well and then that stopped now so now i don't really grow from video anymore so it's just like it's just constantly figuring it out and it's funny because when you have your pulse on the algorithm so much you you'll know i'm like oh something changed like i can just yeah I feel it in my blood i'm like something changed all right let me dig what's going on now <laughs> and you know i analyze a lot of numbers i look at social blade for example which is social I bleed i haven't Social blade. Okay. Yeah, it just tells you it tells you how many followers you're growing. And so sometimes if I know I'm like, wow, I just lost two hundred followers per day for the last seven days. I'll also look at like ten other food accounts. I'm like, okay, everybody else is losing. Okay. This is normal, you know? So just kind of yeah, but I'm I'm a big nerd about it all. Like I really <laughs> Which is why you're you yeah. seen such success, honestly. Yeah. I mean, anytime I hear someone say I'm a big nerd about X they're usually really ridiculously successful in that area. So I love it. And I love that you pointed out, just do what you have to do to stay current because you mentioned this a bunch already, Yumna. Things are always changing, not just in Instagram, but in every part of the blogging world and influencer world. So keeping your eye on what that is. And I also love that you mentioned keeping in the loop with not just people from your niche, but like listening to podcasts that are just related to business in some way. You you listen to a fashion podcast that helps you in some way. I have my set of podcasts too that I listen to and I do audiobooks and I'm always filling my brain with current relevant information. And I think I have grown my business so much since I started doing that because there is such magic in staying relevant. I think that's such a huge piece of this. And then, like you mentioned, do more of what works if something's working. Like your video that got you 11,000 new followers in a week. Okay, obviously that worked. So do more of that, but then know that that's probably going to change and you're going to have to do something different. So I think that is great advice. Now, kind of getting to some nitty gritty questions for you. Right now, it is April 2020. We're dealing with a pandemic and some uncertain times. So during this time, can you give us some just thoughts about certain things? Like how many posts a week should we be doing? How many posts a day? 
how much copy should we be writing? That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, good question. So it is so different right now. I, when the whole thing first happened the first week, I think a lot of influencers, even brands I know went dark. Like I know some of the brands that I work with, they just said, you know what? We went black for a week. We just went dark. We decided we don't know what to say, how to say it or what to do right now. And we don't know what the right thing is. Like, do we sell or do we push people to try a recipe? Do we try to sell a brand? Do we try to sell a product? And it was just appropriate, I think at the time, just to be kind of like quiet about things to let people absorb it. We're now like into second month of quarantine and we're all just kind of, this is our new norm. We're all kind of getting used to it. People are cooking more than ever. And so I've kind of embraced that right now to share as much as possible. So I used to share five to six days a week. I like taking Fridays off because I didn't want to answer questions. I didn't want to, you know, deal with like, oh, did I get likes? Did I get, you know, I just used to take Fridays off. Sometimes I would take another day of the week off. So now though, I'm posting seven days a week. And I think some days I'm actually posting twice a day because I feel like people want, they want the information more than ever. And so they're absorbing content more than ever. And most food blogs right now, their page views are at a, you know, an all time high because people are home We're all, everyone's cooking recipes. So I would say, think about how you can publish more than you did before. And that's not necessarily like, oh, work much harder than you did before or get in the kitchen, make more recipes. Think about your old, old recipes that are tried and true that people would love, you know? And so that's one of the things that I've been doing. I kind of went back to old recipes. Like we're all bringing out back our old banana bread. I'm like, hey, this old banana bread was so good two years ago. I'm resharing it now. And hey, did you know that you can make oatmeal using just water and like, rolled oats. And I'm just sharing some of those recipes that are tried and true and simple and bring people nutrition, comfort, and just reassurance that they did something good for the day and they just nourish their body well. You know, so I would say publish more, give more information, and as much as possible, provide substitutes for people. Like you can't ignore what's happening. You have to, in every single post, you can't say anymore, try my, you know, like, Shrimp can be, you can make it in 30 minutes and it's gluten-free and it's, you know, it can't be the same sales pitch that it used to be. It has to be spot on current and sensitive to what's happening now. It's like, hey, do you have, you know, and, and it can still be the same recipe. You can say, you know what, do you have zucchini that's going bad in your fridge? Here's a good way to do it, you know, and add whatever protein you want to it. I like it with shrimp. So kind of reframing the way you're talking about it, but you can't ignore what's happening right now. So serve more and Think about every single content that you put out in a way that serves the purpose today. And Instagram, the beauty of it is that post is going to live for 24 hours only and it's just going to die after 24 hours. So who cares if it's not evergreen in a week later? Who cares if what you wrote today does not apply next week? No one's going to see it next week anyways. It's so today and in the moment. Messaging, right? It's all about messaging. And I love that you mentioned just taking your old content that's relevant to this like banana bread I just updated my banana bread recipe as well recently because of that because I was like oh everyone's looking for banana bread and my recipe was outdated I mean the post like the way it was written was outdated so yeah like take that old stuff revitalize it change the messaging and suddenly it becomes this brand new piece of content that nobody has to know about you don't have to do extra work I mean maybe you do maybe you want to do something new and extra to put on Instagram and your blog but you don't have to. It doesn't have to be extra work right now. And nobody will know either that it's it was an old recipe. Everyone's like, wow, I love this recipe. It's like, well, it's been on my blog for a really long time. It was just nobody has seen it. 
you know, so yeah, I think it's such a good thing to do right now. And with a lot of people, our work schedule has changed. We've got kids at home or homeschooling and it's, it's more stressful than ever. So don't worry about creating new content, but definitely serve up content every single day if you can on Instagram and on Facebook and any other platforms that you're on. I like that you are doing more posting that you're doing seven days a week as opposed to maybe five before. Because think about all the people that are home scrolling through Instagram and looking for recipes. There's so much more, so many more eyeballs on their phones and computers right now. So take advantage of that. I know that RPMs are crazy down, but traffic, like you mentioned, Yumna, is crazy high for most bloggers. So my goodness, take advantage of that. And I just think that this has got to gain some traction for after this is all done because think about those recipes like your banana bread that you talked about or like homemade sauces for me were kind of just sitting dormant in my archives. And now people are wanting those. They are loving my taco sauce and all of the sauces that I made in the past that have just been kind of like uh, another recipe in the archives. But I think that they're going to gain traction and momentum and that after this, that maybe there'll be better recipes. I don't know. There's got to be something to that. So talk to us about Instagram stories because Instagram stories have always been huge. Everyone loves them. They're fun. They're informative. They're real. And I've just always felt like they're a breath of fresh air on social media because they kind of come and go and they pop in and out and you can add little elements of your real life in there and that's appropriate and okay. So what role do stories actually play in Instagram growth? Talk to us about that. So I think um, Instagram stories are really crucial. And I think from day one, I always knew how important they were. And so I never ignored them. But um, my approach has kind of changed recently. So what I used to do was I would film behind the scenes of me making the recipe and then posting it once it got published. So I wouldn't post it in real time. I would just kind of save those stories and then come back to it when the recipe is published. I would save them there. So it kind of gave people a real raw way that's not polished, just me in my kitchen making the recipe. And I think it's a great thing to do. Um, it's a great thing to have for stories. It's kind of like the behind the scenes of what you're doing. So definitely do stories. And so the reason to do stories is because every time you post the story, Instagram will basically kind of push your face, your your little bubble on the Instagram stories up a little bit higher. So if you posted one at 1 p.m., like by 2.40, maybe your maybe your bubble kind of goes down a little bit in the line of posts. But then if you post another one at 3 o'clock, it's going to push you up again. And so it it's always a constant reminder to your followers that you're there. And so they're going to click on that. And if they click on that, they might be kind of tempted to also go to your feed. And so the more you post on stories the more Instagram will probably show you to people who are following you and interested in you and the more likely that people are to click onto your content. So I highly, highly recommend, um, you know, don't worry too much about the views and what those views are because every single time you post, it's just another, you know, more eyeballs. And the more that people, they may not be reacting to it at all, but maybe they're sending it to a friend. Maybe they're screenshotting it. Maybe they're going back to the story. Like, what did she say again? And Instagram is taking note of those because all of that is, shareability, all of that is time on content. And they treat the stories the same way that they treat um, the feed stuff as well. Like if people are sharing it, if it feels like they're spending a long time on it, they're going to serve that up a little bit more. And the more they serve up your stories, the more likely people will actually click on your handle and also look at your feed. So I think stories should not be ignored. And I think you can kind of have to think about posting throughout the day, like every couple hours, share something, you know, share something interesting and kind of having a strategy for it, whether it's you know, you're showing behind the scenes cooking one day, you're sharing, um, 
something about homeschooling another day, whatever it might be. I think it's it's a really good way to um, just stay relevant because people are paying attention to the stories more than they are to the feed. Um, my own strategy has changed in not so much re- pre-recording the stories and sharing. Now I'm just sharing everything in real life and I'm sharing my face more than I ever have before because I, I have such a big account The people, most of the people there, 90% of them I would say care about the food more than they care about the person behind it. But what I found is during this pandemic, people are caring about that personal connection. They want to connect with people so much more. And so all of a sudden, I feel like people are rediscovering me. They're like, oh my gosh, I like you. <laughs> it's like, it's like they're, I feel like they never knew me before. And they're like, you were really helpful. Oh my gosh. Thank you for sharing. Like I did some food storage tips, for example, for people. I shared how I clean my fridge. I'm sharing some homeschooling things, you know, little exercise things here and there. And so it just feels like people are rediscovering stories because they're looking for that human connection. And so think about how you can use stories to share yourself, share your vulnerability, and don't be afraid to be outspoken, whatever it is that you're doing. Like if you are, you know, being super busy and that's how you're dealing with all this, share that. If you're being super lazy and you're just (laughs) wearing pants and just, you know, eating ice cream and just like hanging out with your kids, watching iPad, that's totally fine to share that as well. Because whoever you are and wherever you find yourself during this pandemic, there are people who are going to connect with you and there's somebody who's going to find themselves in you. And I think I'm kind of in the middle. I'm not like crazy productive and I'm not crazy, like, you know, um, being lazy, but it's just kind of somewhere in the middle, you know? And so people will connect with that wherever you are in the spectrum. And sometimes if you are more of the extreme, people will connect with you even more, you know, so have a voice share that voice and do it often show up every single day. Maybe it doesn't have to be multiple times a day, but definitely show up every single day. Tell people you're still alive. You're here. You're making it through this because they want to hear that you're in this with them as well. Absolutely. I love all of that. How much is too much? Because we all go to those accounts where you see like 90,000 stories in a day and it's just overwhelming. But what are your thoughts? I do like, I try to do 10 like maximum a day. And if I see that it's getting too much, there was a, Every Friday night, what I do is usually Friday is movie night and I share a compilation of everybody who's made my recipes. And I don't share them throughout the week because I think it's too much sharing it throughout the week. I I don't like seeing them all the time. So I think about my followers, but I want to share them. I still want to share them. So I do a compilation Friday nights. And usually it's like six stories alone. And usually Fridays, I don't share much because I don't cook. I don't post. Like, you know, it always worked with me in the past. But this Friday, this past Friday, there was just like a lot of excitement and things going on in my life. And, And so I decided... I already had 10 stories up. It's too much. I have too many bars on top. So I just decided to skip it and share it the next day. Like 12 hours later in the morning, I shared it. So be cognizant of that because when people, I think when it looks like a line and you can't tell that it's dots anymore. Yes, exactly. And we're just going to skip forward, you know, and pay attention to those numbers. It'll tell you, if you look at the analytics, you can see how many people uh, fast forward and how many people move back, how many people exit. Um, and so I watch those every day. I look at, okay, wow, so many people exited after I did that story. Why? What happened? You know, maybe I shouldn't share that anymore. Or maybe I should address that. Or maybe I was insensitive and I should come back and clarify myself. So yeah, pay attention to those. And, it, you know, there is um, there is somebody I follow in Decor and she has a ton of stories, but her followers crave it and they love it so much. And so she continues to do it because she doesn't see people exiting. And there's not a lot of people doing what she does. And so she's pretty unique in the space and it works for her. 
See, that's a great point. Like, If that is working for you and your people are loving spending 20 minutes watching your stories every day, then great. Do that. So that's a really good testament to keeping, just keeping an eye on that. Right. And she'll take 10 minutes. Like it might be 10 stories with just her making her coffee in the morning, but people love it. They want to hear her making her coffee in the morning and they, it brings them calm. And it's, it's something, and if I'm making my coffee, I'm like, here's my coffee. It's one, it's one story of it. And I move on to another story. I try to keep it. Um, one other rule that I do with stories as well is that if I am making a recipe, for example, I won't show every single part of that recipe. I'll probably, I'll limit it to like five or six frames per story idea. You know, so if I'm grocery shopping, I'm not going to share 10 things of me at the store. I might share five or six things maximum. So within each story idea, try not to overshare that one story. Unless you see people, like I said, if you are loving it and craving it, do it. Right, right. Do more of that. Okay, sadly, we're running out of time. I want to comment on a few things. First of all, I just looked at your stories for today and your that hummus you made. Oh. I have never <laughs> seen a creamier hummus in my life. I'm going to go. I actually went back and rewatched it because I was like, that is insane. So yeah. Wow. And my husband bought the wrong, my husband bought the wrong tahini. We buy like an Arabic brand. He bought like a different brand. It's the wrong tahini and it still works with it. So I was, it was a good way to test it because I buy a nice Lebanese brand, like from straight from Lebanon. <laughs> and that's what I normally wow. use. Wow. Okay. I'm going to go make your recipe. <laughs> but, uh, but I use like an American brand. It's like two, I forgot what it was. He got it from a store, but it worked with it too. So yeah. <laughs> Yum. Okay. I want to just touch on a few things really quick. What are your thoughts on IGTV? I know that's kind of, um, I don't know, people have different opinions on it. And then also going live on Instagram because everyone seems to be going live these days. Give us your quick thoughts on those two things. Um, I think definitely do IGTV because whatever Instagram is pushing, you should try and experiment with. IGTV is, does horribly for me, but I still do it because it's longer form content and I think Instagram will keep pushing it. So if you feel like Instagram has a new feature or continues to push a feature, continue to do it. So I highly recommend that. Also, the same thing with live. They are pushing lives. When you look at your stories, they're featuring the lives before they feature anything else. So they want you to live. And it's a good way to actually grow followers as well. But I think have a purpose with live. I've only done two. And the ones that I did were, um, it's like, here are 10 things to make with chickpeas that are not harmless, you know? And so people loved it. They tuned in. It was 25 minutes long, maybe a little too long, but it was it was good. It was spot on. It gave them purpose. And I think, think about it that way. So have a purpose for your IGTV. Don't just say, I'm just going to come on and just chit chat today. You know, unless you're a celebrity, nobody wants that. It's just a waste of time, I think, to just get on IGTV and just chit chat. You know, have a purpose, whether you're showing them a workout, whether you're going through a recipe that's 15 minutes, or you have some type of list that you're sharing, like five things to do with your kids at home or 10 things to do with a can of chickpeas. Yeah. If you're The Rock, you can do that. My husband yeah. <laughs> watches The Rock's stories all the time and he's like, he'll show them to me. I'm like, what is he even talking about? And he's like, I don't know. Does it matter? <laughs> he's drinking tequila. I'm like, okay. Does it matter? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a celebrity, you do that. And if you have a really big following, a super engaged following, I think you can do whatever you want, you know, but for the rest of us, I mean, we have to be careful with like what we're putting out there, you know, but I think if Instagram has a tool, use it because they, they try to push all their tools and they want you to use the things that are, are there. I think that's a really good point that you mentioned that obviously they want you to use the live video feature because they're always putting it first, right? So there is a reason. There are little nuggets that we can tap into like, oh, it's there. So that's what they want us to do. So do what they want you to do. And I think that will probably benefit you. Correct? Yep. 
Okay. That makes sense. And I think along those same lines, um, I always look at the homepage, the explore page, and I see what is Instagram featuring. And there was a while, a couple of years ago, where 90 to 95% of the content there was just video. Everything was a video. Like if you looked at your explore page, all you would see is videos. And it's like, well, Instagram is pushing video more than ever. I better be making videos. So watch it. And it's different for everyone. You know, when they invent, when the carousels first came out, same thing. There's so many carousels in the explore page. Um, and I think I've also seen some lives in there now too. So they are pushing those lives. So think about it, you know, and think about what you can do and what makes sense for you. Great advice. And thank you just for everything that you've shared today, Yumna. It's been amazing. Wow. It makes me want to dive into Instagram even more. I'm just feeling inspired. So thank you so much for being here and sharing everything that you have today. Thank you so much, Megan. This has been really fun. Yeah, this was super fun. So before you go, share with us a favorite quote or words of inspiration that you have for food bloggers. I would say, you know, just, um, I would say just start whatever it is that you're thinking about doing, just start and just try it without worrying about it being perfect. Whether it's IGTV, whether it's trying to do video, whether it's learning photography, whatever it is, just start and figure it out along the process. I think a lot of the success stories you'll see from people, whether it's starting a blog, starting Instagram, we don't have it right from day one, you know, so whatever it is, just start. Don't worry about about it being perfect. You can figure it out as you go. Oh, I love it. Thank you for sharing that. So I will put a list of resources together relating to everything that we've talked about today in this episode. And you can find those at eatblogtalk.com forward slash feelgoodfoodie. Yumna, tell my listeners the best place to find you online. I am Feel Good Foodie everywhere. And except for Pinterest where I'm Feel Good Foodie one. (laughs) I'm Feel Good Foodie everywhere. And if you just Google Feel Good Foodie, that's where you find me as well. Awesome. I love that you have that one on Pinterest for some reason. <laughs> it makes Someone you unique. Took feel good booty. <laughs> oh, dang it. Well, thank you again for being here, Yumna. And thank you so much for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.